Why are we called to be patient when suffering? Find out on Change by Grace. Welcome to Changed by Grace. I'm Pastor Steve Herford. Are you suffering for your faith in Christ? Peter tells us that there is a glorious future coming from the God of all grace. In fact, he tells us that there are three things God is going to do in your life as a result of suffering. Let's learn what they are as we look together today at 1 Peter 5, verses 10 through 14. Well, last week I announced that we would be finishing our study of 1 Peter, but we only made it to verse 9. And today I'm kind of reluctant to announce again that we would finish 1 Peter, but I will trust and believe that we will. So today we're going to pick up at verse 10 and take us down to verse 14. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. And I'm going to begin reading at verse 8 and just read down to the end of the chapter. It says, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, strengthen, or confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Through Silvanus, our faithful brother, for so I regard him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace be to you all who are in Christ. You know that there are 40 different titles that refer to Satan. Some of them are the word devil, which means slanderer, evil one, which talks about being intrinsically evil, the great red dragon, as he's mentioned in Revelation 12, that took a third of the angels with him. He's called that serpent of old. That would be the deceiver who was in Eden. He's called Abaddon, which means destruction, and Apollyon, which means destroyer. He's also referred to as Beelzebul, which means lord of the fly. Belial, which means worthless, God of this world, ruler of this world, prince of the power of the air. He's also called the enemy, the tempter. He's called a murderer. He's called a liar. And he's called an accuser of the brethren. And if you'll notice there in verse 8, he's also referred to as an adversary. Another word for that would be Satan. Satan means adversary or opposer. He opposes the work of Christ. 
He also opposes you and me who follow Christ. Now, as Peter gives these final words, he wants them to understand their enemy, who is also the enemy of God. He wants them to understand that this defeated foe, he will be defeated. He sometimes comes at you roaring like a lion. And Peter wanted his readers to understand that the persecution that they were experiencing was a roar from the devil himself. He roared in their life by persecution. He roared in their life by suffering. Now there's somewhat a a paradox here. Because throughout this letter, we've been seeing God's will for us in suffering. But we also see unjust suffering. Satan is behind the unjust suffering. As we looked at last week when he accused Job before God. He said some lies about God. He said some lies about Job. Because he's a father of lies. That's all that comes from him. Even when he quotes scripture like he did in Matthew 4, he comes with deceptive lies. Jesus said in John 15, 19, If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this the world hates you. We have nothing in common with the world. In fact, when it comes to our relationship with the world, we're told like in 1 John 2, 15 to 17, to not love it because all the things that are in it, like the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And who is the head of the world? Who is the God of this world? Well, Ephesians chapter 2, he is called the prince of the power of the air. As we just heard just a moment ago. Satan is that one. He is the God of this world and he has sought to blind the hearts of all people to the gospel. Because he knows that in blinding them from seeing and hearing the truth, they will stay forever deceived. There are a lot of people deceived today. There are a lot of people that sit in church that are deceived thinking that they are saved when in fact they're not. We know that's true because Jesus said that there would be tares among the wheat. Tares is a reference to unbelievers. Wheat is a reference to believers. But He would separate them at the end time. We do not belong to the world. And therefore we get persecuted by the world and the God of this world. We do not belong to them. No, the Scripture teaches that we have been chosen for salvation by Christ from out of the world. That's why the world hates you. That's why the world hates me. And where does the hate come from? Well, again, it comes from our adversary, Satan. Now, as we've been looking at this last chapter in 1 Peter 5, Peter basically begins by 
exhorting the elders in the church. And we talked a lot about the elders in the church, said that this is not referring to older people. This is referring to church leadership. We talked about some other terms that are used interchangeably with elder, like that of pastor or overseer. All three terms are used to speak of the office of pastor or elder. All three terms are are given to speak of the same individual, the same man who serves as a pastor in the church. We talked about the plurality of these men in the church and that they're given for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. They are teaching shepherds. And here Peter, as an elder, comes alongside these elders in this church and exhorts them. And when he exhorts them, he calls them to the one main task that they have been given, and that is to shepherd the flock. And part of shepherding the flock is not just when things are easy, but also when things are difficult. The flock needs encouragement because they're suffering. Some of the suffering is unjust. Some of it is just. Some of it is from Satan, who uses people and demons to bring about the suffering and the persecution But some of it is from God. And the ones that come from God are not unjust. They're righteous. And we see even like in chapter 1 and verses 6 and 7 when it talks about that that suffering is very distressing. It's very distressing for each one of us, especially for them. As they're experiencing the backlash of what Nero did in his day with burning the city of Rome and then blaming it on the Christians. This, of course, caused much persecution. You know, Christians are being blamed for a lot of things today. You know, I prayed earlier uh, as we were praying for the persecuted church and talking about persecution here. And sometimes we, we tend to scratch our heads and say, well, where is the persecution coming from? Well, if you speak out against the woke culture, you're going to be persecuted. And I would say whether you're even a Christian or not. You just come across as a conservative, you're going to be attacked if you address any kind of policy or any kind of belief that's liberal. And the sad thing also is that it's in the church, the very place that it should never be. And therefore, when the church gets persecuted... It's not really for the right things or the right reasons. In fact, some churches have totally alleviated any kind of persecution from the culture because they have adopted the culture. They've adopted homosexuality. They have marrying homosexuals. They have opened up the doors wide uh, to these kind of perversities. You have women in the pulpit that are preaching the Word of God. You know, how many times does God have to say something for it to be true? or to be obeyed one time. And yet, in many cases, of the exhortations that are given to us in Scripture, we're given it many times, which somewhat accommodates our forgetfulness, right? That's the one thing about us that we all share in common. We forget. We do. So, if you back up, to verse 6, which kind of carries us forward. And we talked about this passive verb that's used here, translated humble. The verse says, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you 
at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you, we pointed out that this is not an active verb. This is a passive verb, so it should be translated this way, be humbled. The roaring of persecution that comes from the enemy will humble you. Allow it to humble you. Allow these suffering circumstances to humble you and therefore to cause you to cast all your anxiety on God. In other words, to trust Him. And now when he comes to the end of this, he he gives a series of commands and exhortations. And we looked at verses 8 and 9 last time, but let me just remind you of what they were. The first one was be sober. It says be of sober spirit. The word spirit has been added there by the translators. It should just be translated be sober. Ian Bounds says this. He says the existence and the work of the devil is a serious matter. It is to be considered and dealt with from the most serious standpoint. And only serious people can deal with it. For this reason, the New Testament gives the repeated note of warning to be sober. And we talked about the word sober. In classical Greek, it meant one who was completely unaffected by wine. That is, this is one who avoided any intoxication. He didn't want to have anything controlling his mind other than the Word of God. Later it became to refer to a sober manner of living, which was demonstrated by being self-controlled. This is a balance that comes from one's disposition, or a balance in their thought life, or a balance in their actions. And I think of Ephesians 4.1 when I think of balance, because... In Ephesians 4.1, Paul says, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling by which you have been called. And the word worthy there is a picture of scales. And what it is speaking of is this balance. Our lifestyle is to match our calling. And a lot of times, our lifestyle does not match our calling. But it has to. In order for us to win others to Christ, in order for us to be overcomers of our sin or overcomers of Satan, we have to walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling by which we've been called. So when he talks about being sober, He's using this uh, metaphorically to speak of this clarity of mind. Be clear-headed. Be serious in your thoughts. Have a steadfastness or a moral decisiveness about you. And why do you need that? Well, you're going to need that because of what he says about your adversary. But before he says that, he gives a second command, and the second command is be alert. And the word be alert, uh, in Greek, it literally means to wake up, be watchful. It talks about this spiritual alertness. And there is an emphasis here on one's focus of attention. And what is that focus of attention on? Well, it's on sin, and it's on Satan, your adversary. This is a call 
to be alert against the assaults of sin and the assaults of Satan. And see, the reason why they needed to be alert is because Satan wanted to devour them. Look at that in verse 8. Be sober, be on the alert or watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, someone to swallow up. In other words, he preys on our weaknesses. We looked at the temptation of Jesus in Matthew 4 last time, and we saw that in that time of hunger, of fasting 40 days and 40 nights, then he became hungry. That's illustrating a physical weakness there of hunger. You and I experienced that. Some of you don't even make it through the service before you start breaking out your snacks, you know, because you're hungry, right? But in that moment of weakness, he attacked, did he not? He attacked Jesus, and he attacked him in those areas of vulnerability. Now, Jesus couldn't sin. No way could he sin. If he could sin, then he wouldn't be God. But that does not mean he couldn't be tempted, because temptation in and of itself is not a sin. Being tempted is not sin. Yielding to the temptation is the sin. When you give in to the temptation, that's the sin. But all of us can be tempted and not fall to it. And you have, at different times in your life, overcome temptation when you were tempted. That leads us also to verse 9, where he talked about being firm. He says there in verse 9, Since the devil is prying about like a roaring lion and seeking someone to devour, you need to resist him. You need to stand up against him. You need to oppose him. And by the way, standing up against Satan is not talking to Satan. It's not using some type of formula for Satan. Or using a phrase, I bind you, Satan, in the name of Jesus. You do not have that authority. That authority was not given to you or to me. In fact, it was very limited in the New Testament when that authority was given. Not all the apostles possessed that. It doesn't say when it lists the gifts that the apostles had every one of these gifts. Now, they possessed sign gifts, and they had to possess the sign gifts because that's what helped make their message receivable and believable. Because if they could say something and it came to pass, that would corroborate their character as well as what they're saying. Now James told us in James 4, 7 how to do this. When he quoted this, he said, Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. There has to be submission to God in order to overcome the enemy. You can't ignore God in the process. Nor can you ignore the Spirit in the process. You know, we are told in Scripture to walk by the Spirit, and we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh, Escalations 5.16. You know, we're told in Ephesians 5.18 to be not drunk with wine, in which is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And when you're filled with the Spirit, certain things will happen, and that's Ephesians 5.19 into chapter 6 and verse 9. All these things, he says, after that occur as a result of being filled with the Spirit. When you're filled with the Spirit, you produce the fruit of the Spirit in your life. But what's the devil want you to produce? He wants you to produce the work of the flesh. 
He wants you to be fleshly. He wants you to be carnal. He wants you to be sinful. He wants you to believe his lies. And Satan is a master of lies. He's a father of lies. He's also a murderer. John 8, he is a liar and the father of lies. And we have to resist him. And we resist him by submitting to God. And by submitting to God, we're submitting to his word. You have to be saturated with scripture. Because the devil likes to come along and, and plant doubt in your mind. Sometimes you'll have a thought that'll come up and you go, where in the world did that thought come from? And it is a lie. It is something very deceptive. It is something very discouraging. It is something to cause you to doubt. That's how he works. And Paul said we're not ignorant of his devices. So there has to be a resisting of the devil that we saw, an opposing of the devil, standing up against the devil by what he says in the next part of verse 9. He says, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. So in other words, you resist the devil in a couple ways. One, by being deeply rooted in the content of the Christian faith. You're rooted in Scripture. You're rooted in doctrine. And secondly, you resist by understanding that Satan tempts and attacks all believers. That's what he does. He is against all believers. He is against you. He is against me. He's against everything this church stands for and everything that we proclaim from it. But 1 Corinthians 10.13 gives us the same kind of thought when it says, No temptation has overtaken you. But such as is common to man, and God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape so that you will be able to endure it. So the trials that we experience, the temptations that we experience, they're very common. You're not going through something that someone else hasn't already went through. You know, and when I read a verse like that, it makes me think of how much we do need the body of Christ. Some people get out there and they get isolated. And I was just talking to someone just yesterday, I think it was yesterday, and they were telling me how a lot of uh, uh, people have adopted the digital church to where they physically do not go to church anymore. And that's really sad because you cannot fellowship with a TV set or a monitor or a telephone. Uh, you can't have that interaction with people through those means like you can when you're there in person. When you're there in person, you see each other, you're encouraged by each other. And if you're watching just a stream, uh, that's all you get. And you don't even know who's in the room because the camera is pointed in one direction. It's not scanning everybody. It's not there for us all to kind of wave and say, hey, how you doing? Whoever you are on the other side, you know. But some people have found that that is more convenient. Instead of actually getting up and going to church, they can just walk into the other room or just pull up their phone while they're laying in bed and just, you know, have the streams. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm thankful that we have the ability to do these things. We do this. A lot of churches do this. And it's very helpful for people who are incapacitated, cannot get out of their bed or cannot drive or cannot come to the church physically, or people who are sick, and for those same reasons. So there is benefit with it. But there's also a loss that occurs. 
and that loss in communion, that loss in fellowship. Speaking of communion, you can't take communion through a digital camera. I can't hand you the juice and you take it from my hands or from anybody else's hands for that matter. So as we look at this, this this is what we see that we looked at last time and what we saw last time where he called for them to be sober, to be alert, and to be firm. And all of this seems to be hinging around the reason because of the adversary, the devil. But I want you to notice now in verses 10 and 11 what he has to say. Look at verse 10. He says, After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. So if we're to be sober, alert, firm, verses 10 and 11 says we're to be patient. And let me show you how I get that. First of all, when you are suffering, you want it to end, and you want it to end now. I mean, that's a human response. Sometimes that's an emotional response. The pain is so difficult, the pain is so bearing on you that you would just love for this to end, whatever that is. And Peter tells us that Suffering is for a little while. In other words, it is temporary. And here, he, going back to the theme of what he's been talking about in this letter of suffering and persecution, but this is a reminder for them, and this is a, a line of encouragement for them too, that it's temporary. A little while, that's one word in Greek, and it is referring either to duration or degree in suffering, and most likely it it refers to both of them. Over in chapter 1 and verse 6, Peter has already said, In this you greatly rejoice, that is, the rejoicing in the fact that you are kept by the power of God. He says, Even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. So again, they're temporary Even Paul said this in Romans 8, in verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. So again, the suffering you're going through right now, it can't compare in any way to the glory that you're going to experience all through eternity. And the suffering that you're experiencing right now is much different than the suffering that you experienced before, and it will also be much different than the experience experience of suffering in the future. You and I can't pinpoint the diversity of these trials or the intensity of these trials. Be sober and alert. That's the second message in our series from 1 Peter chapter 5. Today's is taken from 1 Peter 5, verses 10 through 14. Today's message is available on one full-length audio CD, and it's made available by calling us at 904-651-3351. You can also download this message from our website by visiting us at www.changedbygrace.org. I'm Pastor Steve Herford. I do want to thank you for listening and hope that you'll join us again next time as we study from God's Word. 
Hi, I'm Pastor Steve Herford. I want to personally invite you to visit Eastport Baptist Church this morning at 11 o'clock. We are biblical, expository, and reformed. I look forward to meeting you and worshiping together.